Lord, we welcome and greet each and every one of you this evening to the River of Life Christian Center Monday Night Bible Study. My name is Pastor Thomas Rich, uh, Deacon Linda. We bless God for your anointed prayer. We thank you for uh, carrying us all the way through our prayer time this evening, and we appreciate all that you are doing. Uh, we greet every one of you this evening. We believe that God is in the house, whether it's where you are or where I am. He's very present with each and every one of us this evening. And as we uh, prepare to go forth in the teaching, I do want to make mention, uh, I understand that uh, in an area near Dallas, that there is a wildfire that is taking place. I'm not sure how close it is to Pastor Ellis and his family down there, but we're covering those persons in California, uh, Texas, and any other state that is being impacted by wildfires, uh, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, whatever natural disaster. We're asking God's intervention and that he would heal and deliver. Uh, we thank you, Linda, um, as you covered those who are sick or those who are going through crisis and struggle. We give God the praise because we're thanking him in advance for the breakthrough, the healing and the deliverance that he's going to give to each and every one. So in this evening, family. We are continuing with our teaching from the subject. Let's explore the Psalms. This is part five. Uh, we spent the first four weeks, the first two of them, introducing you to what the book of Psalms is all about, the way that it is written, the writers, the divisions of the book of Psalms, etc. Then, um, the next two weeks, we began looking at Psalm 90. One of the things that you guys will uh, know about me is that uh, I will look verse to verse as we're going through Psalm 90. But as I told you, Moses is the author of Psalm 90. And uh, one of the ways that people have been able to determine that is not just because the author put his name to it. We know plenty of occasions where there have been authors who put their name to something that they really did not do. But uh, as we go through tonight's lesson, you're going to be able to follow uh, the style and the writing of Moses all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so let's uh, get started. I'm going to read. We left off at the A clause of Psalm 90, verse 3 last week. So I'm going to read the first three verses of Psalm 90, and then tonight we're going to undertake the B clause of verse 3 in Psalm 90. So let's read those first three verses. It reads, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2 before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And then in verse 3, it says, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Uh, last week, 
we looked at the A cause, which was uh, thou turnest man to destruction. I believe we covered that in uh, significant detail. And uh, because I believe we really covered that well last week, we're going to move on to the B clause in, in verse 3. And the B clause simply reads, Thou turnest man to destruction. Um, the whole verse again, uh, when we think about it, uh, Moses closed verse 3 with that line. And this, I, I want you to know as I get started, that many times uh, when we read in the Bible and we might see the word return, and, and uh, there are a number of places where that word return is a call to repentance. And so when I was reading that and then trying to uh, go back and study to, to see what Moses had in mind, uh, I realized that Moses really in this verse was not necessarily focusing upon a return to repentance or a call to repentance. I'll give you a couple of examples of a call to repentance. Joel 2 and 12, uh, you will see that. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. God is saying, repent, y'all, in that verse. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 in the B clause is another illustration of the call to repentance. It says, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Another illustration of a call to repentance. But in Psalm 93, verse 3, uh, the B clause was a command of man to return to the dust from which he came. Uh, and I, I mentioned a few moments ago that uh, when you're reading this verse, you will find a lot of similarity to Genesis because this verse is an echo, if you will, of Genesis 3.19, where Moses wrote, For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Many of you are well familiar with it as you have gone to interments uh, for family members and friends. And You've heard them declare ashes to ashes and dust to dust, uh, talking about the fact that we were dust. And uh, when time is up, we're going to return to dust. But the final, this technically is referring to the final curse that was upon man found in Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis 3 is where we started our teaching in the last subject when we talked about taking back the stolen seed. And you may remember that in that chapter, Genesis chapter 3, we saw where God had made a promise that, um, that the, the, the seed of woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And, and he later in that chapter went on and talked about the consequences of the rebellion of mankind. Or in this case, he was referencing Adam and Eve, but he promised that there would be an end to man's toil and labor on earth, but it was it was not an end of death and uh, was not an end of deliverance. So 
Let's talk about that. We're talking about the curse of death. When we look at what Moses is talking about here, it shows the result of Adam's sin. And that sin extended to the entire human race. Because of Adam, sin entered the world. Because of Adam, death came to mankind. Death reigned over man and creation. Uh, and then you, if you make a note, as I say that, of Romans 5.17, I won't be able to read that tonight, but it tells us of how we can overcome the reign of death over you and me in creation. Because of Adam, y'all, all men were condemned. And Romans 5.18 gives us hope with that. And then all men were made sinners. And I'm just going to read Romans 5.19. It says, for as by one man's disobedience. Who's that one man, y'all? We're talking about Adam. Many were made sinners. So we're connected back to what? Genesis. Amen. And then verse 19 of Romans 5 continues. It says, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we have the disobedience of Adam, but then we have the second Adam, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the B clause in Romans 5.19 says, uh, despite what Adam has done, by the obedience of one, that one being Jesus, shall many be made righteous. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that makes me shout a little bit because I know that I was lost and hell would have been my home except for the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when they found him in the garden, uh, when he was in the garden and he prayed and he saw his future in the cup and he prayed and, and, and said, Father, let this cup pass from me because he knew he was going to suffer terribly. But then he declared, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Jesus came so that we might be set free from the sin that resulted from Adam and Eve, that disobedience that came upon us and the struggles that we have right now, keeping focus sometime, getting off track sometime, finding ourselves in sin that we don't want to be connected to sometime. All of that is the result of the sin all the way back in the book of Genesis. But Romans 5.19 tells us that God had a plan of deliverance, even for, though we were the offspring of Adam. God made us the offspring of the second Adam. And so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Otherwise, our damnation was sealed. And that's what Psalm 90 and verse 3 is saying to us. It said, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Uh, there's a beautiful principle connected to this found in Galatians 3.13. Uh, it assures us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Somebody shout hallelujah. That we were made a curse, uh, there were, and it was for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth from a tree. In other words, Christ hung from the tree to take upon himself the curse that was intended for us after Adam and Eve 
sinned in the garden. And so uh, I love Galatians 3.13 because it reminds me that I do have a, a, a change in my eternal security because Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What are you talking about, teacher? I'm saying to you that when he said, return ye children of men, that he was talking about the fact that there was a curse that was upon us. And that curse had us dying and with no eternal security in heaven. But the principle of Galatians 3.13 is established as we consider that Jesus bore each aspect of that curse that was upon Adam and Eve. I mean, he didn't just bear it. He bore it in totality. He took on the entirety of that curse. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And having become a curse for us, he has given us access to God through his blood. Somebody say amen. Listen, when he talk about return, O children, uh, he's acknowledging the sin path that was there for us, that we got set upon. And at that sin uh, brought pain to childbirth. And no one knew more about pain than Jesus did when he, through his suffering, brought his many sons to glory. We can say thank you, Jesus, for that. Sin brought conflict, and Jesus endured great conflict to bring our salvation. He had a choice, but he chose to endure that cross. Listen, thorns came with sin and the fall. And Jesus endured that crown of thorns to bring us salvation. Then with sin, there was also sweat. And you might remember back in Genesis, it said that we would, uh, we would have to work and feed ourselves by the sweat of our brow. Uh, sin brought sweat. Uh, Jesus also sweat as it were, but his was a different kind of sweat because he loved us. It was great drops of blood to win your and my salvation. So there's a lot connected to sin, but every time I mention sin, I can show you where sin is defeated in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple more examples. Sin brought sorrow, but Jesus became a man of sorrows. According to Isaiah 53 and 3, not just a man of sorrows, but acquainted with grief. Why? to save you and me. Uh, sin brought death, but Jesus tasted death for everyone that we might be saved. So uh, what we're talking about is that uh, without Jesus, what was being referenced in Psalm 90 and 3, our damnation would have been sealed as stated in Psalm 90 and 3. It says, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye children of men. But thanks be to God for his son, Jesus Christ, who defeated every consequence that was there simply because we turn from our sin and repent and look unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. We claim him as Savior. And as a result, what we see and read in Psalm 90, verse 3, and the B clause, return ye children of men. 
Psalm 90 and 3 was not a call to repentance, y'all, but it was the dust that Moses was talking about in Psalm 90 and 3. Uh, it, it's a different word that is used in Genesis 3.19. In Genesis 3.19, it said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The idea of returning to it actually meant turn back. In other words, we're not talking about repenting now. We're talking about turning back to the call, to the direction, to the plan, to, to the, the righteousness that God always intended for us and sent his only begotten son that we might be able to, uh, instead of being lost in hell forever, we can turn back to our first love, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will say to you, as I'm continuing to talk about Psalm 90 and 3, it almost certainly is alluding to the curse of Adam. And because when we look at the verb in Psalm 90 and 3, it's talking about that curse. And I was, I was reading uh, uh, one of the uh, scholars that was talking about Psalm 1 and 3, and this is what he said. This guy's name was uh, Dr. Gill. He said, return ye children of men is referencing the offspring of Adam. And I mentioned that to you earlier. Who are the offspring of Adam, y'all? They are rebels. They are self-centered. They are followers of the deceiving one and disobedient to God. Now, uh, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I know my story. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know what I needed to be saved from because I know the way that I lived. And uh, when I look back over my life, rebel would have defined me. Self-centered would have defined me. Follower of the deceiving one. I didn't want to think so, but the stuff that I did and was doing was not of God. So then who was I following if I wasn't following God? I must have been following the deceiving one. And I must have been disobedient to God. So from whom they all are descendants. That's what Dr. Gill says, that when he's alluding to the curse of Adam, He's reminding us that we all are descendants of Adam in whom we all sinned. And as a result, we became, the sub, we became subject to death. And to these folk, what Moses is uh, uh, alluding to and saying is when by diseases uh, we are threatened with the disillusion, uh, and I'm sorry, dissolution, I'm sorry, that is to being turn apart, dissolved, uh, evaporated away, disillusion. And he's saying, return by repentance and live. And sometimes when they are brought back to the brink of the grave, or if you're brought back from the brink of the grave, what we do is uh, he returns us from sickness to health. Uh, an example of that is Hezekiah, who was sick unto death, turned to the wall, prayed to God, and the Lord delivered him from the pit and enlightened him with the light of the living by restoring health to him. And he lived many, many more years. Well, salvation is like that, y'all, because until we receive Christ as Savior, we are on our way to hell. We're sick in sin. 
And but we got a new life. It is, it's kind of like what he did for Hezekiah. The once we turn to Christ, and, and and Moses said, "What return ye children of men?" He's saying, "Return to the dust." But as Hezekiah called on God, as you call on the Lord, as you look unto Jesus as the author and finisher of your, of your faith, he says, uh, Moses was saying, go back to earth from which you came from. But uh, God is letting us know that there's another place that we can return to as we focus upon him through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me talk a little bit more about return. Um, return. Everyone without exception. What I mean by that, he's telling kings to return, princes to return, nobles, warriors, conquerors, mighty people, counselors, captains. He's telling all of them, I don't care what your title, your label is, you need to return. And he's saying, you're either going to return to the dust or you're going to return to God. He's saying, even you educated, you might think of yourself as great. You might be highly honored. You might be flattered. You might be beautiful, happy, youthful, and vigorous. You might be in old age and venerable. Whatever your rank or station in life is, whatever your possessions are, whatever honors you might have, whatever you have that might make you lovely, charming, pleasing, that might have people admiring you, whatever there is to make you even loathsome and detestable, vicious and vicious and profane, low, groveling, sensual, debased, without exception, every one of us is called to return to the dust. But we have a hope, and that hope is that we have the option of turning to Jesus Christ and even when this house, these bodies that we live in, return to the dust, our soul will go to be with God in heaven. That's good news, y'all. That's worth being excited about. So when we talk about uh, um, uh, Psalm 90 and verse 3, yes, he's talking about return to dust. Why? Because of all of those things that I mentioned, that we think we're all of that in a bag of chips. We're kings and conquerors and beautiful and youthful and vigorous. And uh, I don't know if y'all know it, but young people die. I, I have a granddaughter that died hours after her birth. Uh, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Your physical body is going to return to the dust. And, and Moses was referencing return to the dust. But I want you to know tonight that we have an alternative. Uh, yes, your body might die, but your soul can live eternally with God in heaven. So when we consider returning to the dust, I want you to know that what Moses, as he is writing in Psalm 90 and 3, uh, the B clause, uh, he's reminding us that our lot or future or destiny, however you want to label it, uh, is back to the dust. And it should affect the way that we think and wake us up so that we all come to the realization that this dust is our potential future and that the realization that God has is a design to make us all realize how much the awareness of our returning to dust should do 
to belittle and degrade us. A uh, 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 sophisticated word would, might be to abase us uh, and the pride that we have in our human race and how much it should take to make any of us humble and sober to consider that, yes, the dust is our future. And if it is our future, we will die unhonored, undistinguished, and undistinguishable from the dust. But in Psalm 40, I'm sorry, Psalm 90 and 3, when he says, return ye children of men, uh, what he is telling us is that we have options and we can return to God as opposed to uh, our future being one in hell. When we go back to the dust without going back to God, then hell is our eternal home. And I don't know if you're feeling me. We talked about eternity last week, I believe. And I, I told you that it is considered from vanishing point to vanishing point. Uh, it, there is no beginning and you can't find an end to it. And that's the kind of eternity that we want in heaven. I don't want that in hell and I do not want it for you in hell. And so when he says, return ye children of men, He's trying to help us understand that we do have an option, and that option is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read verse 4. I probably won't get far on that, but I, I'm going to introduce it to you tonight. Verse 4 says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Uh, this is continuing the idea of God's eternal being that we referenced last week, living outside of time with no beginning and no end. Uh, Moses poetically repeats this idea. He says, for the eternal God, a thousand years seems like a single day and a single day in the past, not the present. In other words, God is raised above time, and none of the terms in which you and I might describe duration have any meaning to God. In other words, if I talk about an hour, an hour has no meaning to God. If I talk about a week, that doesn't have meaning to God. Or a second, it doesn't have meaning to God. A second uh, could be as a thousand years to God. We cannot measure time in God's sense. Uh, it, it, we see it in the human sense, a thousand years, which to a man seems like a real long time, but they are dwindled to nothing when we consider it in God's time. So in comparison with the eternity of God's being, uh, Peter said this. Uh, he said in, in 2 Peter 3 verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to read that from the Amplified Bible. He said, nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape you, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. That almost reads verbatim from Psalm 90 and verse 4, doesn't it? Uh, verse 9 of 2 Peter 3. It says, the Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises. 
Listen, Linda, uh, when she was praying and talking about um, uh, the ladies as they were flying back home tonight, uh, and she said that uh, her sister and her two cousins had to sit out on the in the plane on a tarmac for uh, much longer than they expected. And it's not comfortable being on a plane when it's on a tarmac. Many times the air conditioning is not working at, like it would when you get up in the air. There are all manner of other inconveniences. They don't want you to get up from your seat because at any moment the, the plane could take off and they don't want you walking around. So being on the tarmac is miserable. But Linda stated to those ladies this evening as they called her and said, we're sitting on the tarmac. She said, well, that's all right. Uh, God must be in it. And he may be protecting you from something because he knows the future from yesterday. And, and so that's what Second Peter and Psalm 90 and verse 4 is reminding us of. Second uh, Peter 3 and 9 says, the Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises. When we prayed for those ladies yesterday, as we knew they were getting on the plane today, we just asked God to protect them, to keep them, to go before them. We asked that uh, everybody around them would be protected because God is covering them and protecting them. And because they're on the plane, everybody else is safe. That's the way I pray when I fly or when I'm taking a trip. And if anybody else is with me, you're protected because I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to protect. And every now and then you might be driving down the road and you get stopped. Uh, the traffic stops you and you might get disturbed a little bit about it, but you don't know what God might be protecting you from. And those ladies, as they were on the tarmac today, were very likely being protected. But according to Second Peter 3 and 9, uh, some people's concept of slowness is not the same as what God is. For God is long-suffering. That means that he is extraordinarily patient toward you. And he does not desire that any should perish, but that all should turn to repentance. So as we get ready to close this evening, I'm saying to you from Psalm 90 verse 4, um, and we did, I talked about the A clause. I simply want you to know that uh, don't allow the fact that, that one day is as a thousand years to God escape your understanding. Because just like a, a day might be a thousand years to him, when you're caught up and it seems like you are, are being held back, uh, maybe God is involved in it, protecting you, looking out for you. You don't know what awaits you if you had raced on past the what was blocking you at that moment. Slow down. Allow God to have charge because the concept of his slowness is completely different from your and my concept of slowness. He is long-suffering toward you and toward me. And his desire is that not one of us would perish, but that all of us would seek repentance. Sometime we're rushing without considering that we are stained with things that we need to be washed of.
And while we are being locked, uh, held back, stopped, upset, disturbed, that we're not able to move on a little bit, maybe we ought to call time out and pray. Give God glory, honor, and praise. For, as I said, you don't know what he's protecting you from. But if you got there too quick and the repentance had not taken place in your heart, uh, you would have gotten there and you would have returned to the dust. But heaven would not have been your home because you were not prepared. Your repentance had not occurred. And while you are being held back and thinking that it's a bad thing, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. God, I recognize that I am a sinner. God, I am. Uh, I regret where I've been and I turn from it. My, I turn everything about me unto you. I ask you to wash me right now. Make me white as snow. I repent of my thoughts. I repent of my past. I repent of my attitude. I repent of my habits. I repent of the way that I see people. I repent, God, of the things that needed to be washed in me by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And as you repent, family, now when God opens the gate and you're able to go forth, no matter what happens, your dust will be in eternity instead of the dust that was referred to that would be eternity in hell. I don't know about y'all, but I want my eternity with God the Father. And I am not in a hurry to get there, but I am willing to do what I must to get there. I don't know the day or the hour, and neither do you. So get ready, get ready, get ready. Turn ye, children of men, but instead of dying and going back to the dust without the promise of heaven, turn ye unto Jesus Christ. Let him be the author and finisher of your faith. May God bless you, heaven smile on you, and give you peace. Next week, oh, we're not back next week. Next week, Pastor Ellis will be teaching for the entire month of August. Uh, he's been doing an amazing teaching out of the book of 1 Samuel, and I suspect that he's going to be continuing from there. So we invite you back on next Monday uh, at 7.30, and each Monday in August, Pastor Ellis will be teaching, and I ask you to pray for him. Uh, he's down in hot Texas, and as I mentioned earlier, there, there are fires around close by where he lives. And so we are covering him and his family and everyone else there in that Dallas suburb where those fires are burning, down in San Antonio where the fires have been burning, in California where they're burning. I know some folk have already lost property, but to my knowledge, no one has lost life. And we ask God to give each and every one of them the ability to see him so that despite the despair that they might have with the loss that they've experienced, they will take on the hope that is in Christ Jesus and know that things might be lost, but God is able to restore everything that you have lost. May God bless you, heaven smile on each of you, and give you peace. You may take your telephones off of mute, and let's have a conversation about uh, Psalm chapter 90, verse 3, the B clause, 
and chapter 90, verse 4, the A clause. Let's talk, y'all. And well, we welcome and greet each and every one of you this evening to the River of Life Christian Center Monday Night Bible Study. My name is Pastor Thomas Rich, uh, Deacon Linda. We bless God for your anointed prayer. We thank you for uh, carrying us all the way through our prayer time this evening, and we appreciate all that you are doing. Uh, we greet every one of you this evening. We believe that God is in the house, whether it's where you are or where I am. He's very present with each and every one of us this evening. And as we uh, prepare to go forth in the teaching, I do want to make mention, uh, I understand that uh, in an area near Dallas, that there is a wildfire that is taking place. I'm not sure how close it is to Pastor Ellis and his family down there, but we're covering those persons in California, uh, Texas, and any other state that is being impacted by wildfires, uh, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, whatever natural disaster. We're asking God's intervention and that he would heal and deliver. Uh, we thank you, Linda, um, as you covered those who are sick or those who are going through crisis and struggle. We give God the praise because we're thanking him in advance for the breakthrough, the healing and the deliverance that he's going to give to each and every one. So in this evening, family. We are continuing with our teaching from the subject. Let's explore the Psalms. This is part five. Uh, we spent the first four weeks, the first two of them, introducing you to what the book of Psalms is all about, the way that it is written, the writers, the divisions of the book of Psalms, etc. Then, um, the next two weeks, we began looking at Psalm 90. One of the things that you guys will uh, know about me is that uh, I will look verse to verse as we're going through Psalm 90. But as I told you, Moses is the author of Psalm 90. And uh, one of the ways that people have been able to determine that is not just because the author put his name to it. We know plenty of occasions where there have been authors who put their name to something that they really did not do. But uh, as we go through tonight's lesson, you're going to be able to follow uh, the style and the writing of Moses all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so let's uh, get started. I'm going to read. We left off at the A clause of Psalm 90, verse 3 last week. So I'm going to read the first three verses of Psalm 90, and then tonight we're going to undertake the B clause of verse 3 in Psalm 90. So let's read those first three verses. It reads, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2 before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And then in verse 3, it says, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, 
ye children of men. Uh, last week, we looked at the A clause, which was, uh, thou turnest man to destruction. I believe we covered that in uh, significant detail. And uh, because I believe we really covered that well last week, we're going to move on to the B clause in, in verse 3. And the B clause simply reads, Thou turnest man to destruction. Um, the whole verse again, uh, when we think about it, uh, Moses closed verse 3 with that line. And this, I, I want you to know as I get started, that many times uh, when we read in the Bible and we might see the word return, and, and uh, there are number of places where that word return is a call to repentance. And so when I was reading that and then trying to uh, go back and study to, to see what Moses had in mind, uh, I realized that Moses really in this verse was not necessarily focusing upon a return to repentance or a call to repentance. I'll give you a couple of examples of a call to repentance, Joel 2 and 12, uh, you will see that. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. God is saying, repent, y'all, in that verse. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 in the B clause is another illustration of the call to repentance. It says, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Another illustration of a call to repentance. But in Psalm 93, verse 3, uh, the B clause was a command of man to return to the dust from which he came. Uh, and I, I mentioned a few moments ago that uh, when you're reading this verse, you will find a lot of similarity to Genesis because this verse is an echo, if you will, of Genesis 3.19, where Moses wrote, For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Many of you are well familiar with it as you have gone to interments um, for family members and friends, and you've heard them declare ashes to ashes and dust to dust, uh, talking about the fact that we were dust, and uh, when time is up, we're going to return to dust. But the final, this technically is referring to the final curse that was upon man found in Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis 3 is where we started our teaching in the last subject when we talked about taking back the stolen seed. And you may remember that in that chapter, Genesis chapter 3, we saw where God had made a promise that, um, that the, the, the seed of woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And, and he later in that chapter went on and talked about the consequences of the rebellion of mankind, or in this case, he was referencing Adam and Eve, but he promised that there would be an end to man's toil and labor on earth, but it was, it was not an end of death. And 
uh, was not an end of deliverance. So let's talk about that. We're talking about the curse of death. When we look at what Moses is talking about here, it shows the result of Adam's sin. And that sin extended to the entire human race. Because of Adam, sin entered the world. Because of Adam, death came to mankind. Death reigned over man and creation. Uh, and then you, if you make a note as I say that, uh, Romans 5.17, I won't be able to read that tonight, but it tells us of how we can overcome the reign of death over you and me in creation. Because of Adam, y'all, all men were condemned. And Romans 5.18 gives us hope with that. And then all men were made sinners. And I'm just going to read Romans 5.19. It says, for as by one man's disobedience. Who's that one man, y'all? We're talking about Adam. Many were made sinners. So we're connected back to what? Genesis. Amen. And then verse 19 of Romans 5 continues. It says, So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we have the disobedience of Adam, but then we have the second Adam, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the B clause in Romans 5.19 says, uh, despite what Adam has done, by the obedience of one, that one being Jesus, shall many be made righteous. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that makes me shout a little bit because I know that I was lost and hell would have been my home except for the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when they found him in the garden, uh, when he was in the garden and he prayed and he saw his future in the cup and he prayed. And, and, and said, Father, let this cup pass from me, because he knew he was going to suffer terribly. But then he declared, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Jesus came so that we might be set free from the sin that resulted from Adam and Eve, that disobedience that came upon us and the struggles that we have right now, keeping focus sometime getting off track sometime, finding ourselves in sin that we don't want to be connected to sometime. All of that is the result of the sin all the way back in the book of Genesis. But Romans 5.19 tells us that God had a plan of deliverance even for, though we were the offspring of Adam. God made us the offspring of the second Adam. And so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Otherwise, our damnation was sealed. And that's what Psalm 90 and verse 3 is saying to us. It said, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Uh, there's a beautiful principle connected to this found in Galatians 3.13. Uh, it assures us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Somebody shout hallelujah. That we were made a curse, uh, there were, and it was for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth from a tree. In other words, Christ hung from the tree to take upon himself the curse 
that was intended for us after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so uh, I love Galatians 3.13 because it reminds me that I do have a, a, a change in my eternal security because Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What are you talking about, teacher? I'm saying to you that when he said, return ye children of men, that he was talking about the fact that there was a curse that was upon us. And that curse had us dying and with no eternal security in heaven. But the principle of Galatians 3.13 is established as we consider that Jesus bore each aspect of that curse that was upon Adam and Eve. I mean, he didn't just bear it. He bore it in totality. He took on the entirety of that curse. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And having become a curse for us, he has given us access to God through his blood. Somebody say amen. Listen, when he talk about return, O children, uh, he's acknowledging the sin path that was there for us, that we got set upon. And at that sin uh, brought pain to childbirth. And no one knew more about pain than Jesus did when he, through his suffering, brought his many sons to glory. We can say thank you, Jesus, for that. Sin brought conflict, and Jesus endured great conflict to bring our salvation. He had a choice, but he chose to endure that cross. Listen, thorns came with sin and the fall. And Jesus endured that crown of thorns to bring us salvation. Then with sin, there was also sweat. And you might remember back in Genesis, it said that we would, uh, we would have to work and feed ourselves by the sweat of our brow. Uh, sin brought sweat. Uh, Jesus also sweat as it were, but his was a different kind of sweat because he loved us. It was great drops of blood to win your and my salvation. So there's a lot connected to sin, but every time I mention sin, I can show you where sin is defeated in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple more examples. Sin brought sorrow, but Jesus became a man of sorrows. According to Isaiah 53 and 3, not just a man of sorrows, but acquainted with grief. Why? to save you and me. Uh, sin brought death, but Jesus tasted death for everyone that we might be saved. So uh, what we're talking about is that uh, without Jesus, what was being referenced in Psalm 90 and 3, our damnation would have been sealed as stated in Psalm 90 and 3. It says, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye children of men. But thanks be to God for his son, Jesus Christ, who defeated every consequence that was there simply because we turn from our sin and repent and look unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. We claim him as Savior. And as a result, what we see and read in Psalm 90, verse 3, 
and the B clause, return ye children of men. Psalm 90 and 3 was not a call to repentance, y'all, but it was the dust that Moses was talking about in Psalm 90 and 3. Uh, it, it's a different word that is used in Genesis 3.19. In Genesis 3.19, it said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The idea of returning to it actually meant turn back. In other words, we're not talking about repenting now. We're talking about turning back to the call, to the direction, to the plan, to, to the, the righteousness that God always intended for us and sent his only begotten son that we might be able to, uh, instead of being lost in hell forever, we can turn back to our first love, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will say to you, as I'm continuing to talk about Psalm 90 and 3, it almost certainly is alluding to the curse of Adam. And because when we look at the verb in Psalm 90 and 3, it's talking about that curse. And I was, I was reading uh, uh, one of the uh, scholars that was talking about Psalm 1 and 3, and this is what he said. This guy's name was uh, Dr. Gill. He said, return ye children of men is referencing the offspring of Adam. And I mentioned that to you earlier. Who are the offspring of Adam, y'all? They are rebels. They are self-centered. They are followers of the deceiving one and disobedient to God. Now, uh, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I know my story. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know what I needed to be saved from because I know the way that I lived. And uh, when I look back over my life, rebel would have defined me. Self-centered would have defined me follower of the deceiving one. I didn't want to think so, but the stuff that I did and was doing was not of God. So then who was I following if I wasn't following God? I must have been following the deceiving one, and I must have been disobedient to God. So from whom they all are descendants. That's what Dr. Gill says, that when he's alluding to the curse of Adam, He's reminding us that we all are descendants of Adam in whom we all sinned. And as a result, we became, the sub, we became subject to death. And to these folk, what Moses is uh, uh, alluding to and saying is when by diseases uh, we are threatened with the disillusion, uh, and I'm sorry, dissolution, I'm sorry, that is to being turn apart, dissolved, uh, evaporated away, disillusion. And he's saying, return by repentance and live. And sometimes when they are brought back to the brink of the grave, or if you're brought back from the brink of the grave, what we do is uh, he returns us from sickness to health. Uh, an example of that is Hezekiah, who was sick unto death, turned to the wall, prayed to God, and the Lord delivered him from the pit and enlightened him with the light of the living by restoring health to him. And he lived many, many more years. Well, salvation is like that, y'all, because until we receive Christ as Savior, 
we are on our way to hell. We're sick in sin, and but we got a new life. It's, it's kind of like what he did for Hezekiah, the ones we turned to Christ. And, and, and Moses said, what? Return ye children of men. He's saying return to the dust. But as Hezekiah called on God, as you call on the Lord, as you look unto Jesus as the author and finisher of your, of your faith, he says, uh, Moses was saying, go back to earth from which you came from. But uh, God is letting us know that there's another place that we can return to as we focus upon him through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me talk a little bit more about return. Um, return, everyone without exception. What do I mean by that? He's telling kings to return, princes to return. Nobles, warriors, conquerors, mighty people, counselors, captains. He's telling all of them, I don't care what your title, your label is. You need to return. And he's saying, you're either going to return to the dust or you're going to return to God. He's saying, even you educated, you might think of yourself as great. You might be highly honored. You might be flattered. You might be beautiful, happy, youthful, and vigorous. You might be in old age and venerable. Whatever your rank or station in life is, whatever your possessions are, whatever honors you might have, whatever you have that might make you lovely, charming, pleasing, that might have people admiring you, whatever there is to make you even loathsome and detestable, Vicious and vicious and profane, low, groveling, sensual, debased, without exception, every one of us is called to return to the dust. But we have a hope, and that hope is that we have the option of turning to Jesus Christ. And even when this house, these bodies that we live in, return to the dust, our soul will go to be with God in heaven. That's good news, y'all. That's worth being excited about. So when we talk about our, um, uh, Psalm 90 and verse 3, yes, he's talking about return to dust. Why? Because of all of those things that I mentioned, that we think we're all of that in a bag of chips. We're kings and conquerors and beautiful and youthful and vigorous. And uh, I don't know if y'all know it, but young people die. I, I have a granddaughter that died hours after her birth. Uh, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Your physical body is going to return to the dust. And Moses was referencing return to the dust. But I want you to know tonight that we have an alternative. Uh, yes, your body might die, but your soul can live eternally with God in heaven. So when we consider returning to the dust, I want you to know that what Moses, as he is writing in Psalm 90 and 3, uh, the B clause, uh, he's reminding us that our lot or future or destiny, however you want to label it, uh, is back to the dust. And it should affect the way that we think and wake us up so that we all come to the realization that this dust is our potential future and that the realization that God has is a design to make us all realize 
how much the awareness of our returning to dust should do to belittle and degrade us. A uh, 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 sophisticated word would, might be to abase us uh, and the pride that we have in our human race and how much it should take to make any of us humble and sober to consider that, yes, the dust is our future. And if it is our future, we will die unhonored, undistinguished, and undistinguishable from the dust. But in Psalm 40, I'm sorry, Psalm 90 and 3, when he says, return ye children of men, uh, what he is telling us is that we have options and we can return to God as opposed to uh, our future being one in hell when we go back to the dust without going back to God, then hell is our eternal home. And I don't know if you're feeling me. We talked about eternity last week, I believe. And I, I told you that it is considered from vanishing point to vanishing point. Uh, it, there is no beginning and you can't find an end to it. And that's the kind of eternity that we want in heaven. I don't want that in hell and I do not want it for you in hell. And so when he says, return ye children of men, he's trying to help us understand that we do have an option. And that option is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read verse four. I probably won't get far on that, but I, I'm going to introduce it to you tonight. Verse four says, for a thousand years in thy sight, are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Uh, this is continuing the idea of God's eternal being that we referenced last week, living outside of time with no beginning and no end. Uh, Moses poetically repeats this idea. He says, for the eternal God, a thousand years seems like a single day, and a single day in the past, not the present. In other words, God is raised above time, and none of the terms in which you and I might describe duration have any meaning to God. In other words, if I talk about an hour, an hour has no meaning to God. If I talk about a week, that doesn't have meaning to God, or a second, it doesn't have meaning to God. A second uh, could be as a thousand years to God. We cannot measure time in God's sense. Uh, it, it, we see it in the human sense, a thousand years, which to a man seems like a real long time, but they are dwindled to nothing when we consider it in God's time. So in comparison with the eternity of God's being, uh, Peter said this, uh, he said in, in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to read that from the Amplified Bible. He said, Nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape you, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. That almost reads verbatim from Psalm 90 and verse 4, doesn't it? Uh, verse 9 of 2 Peter 3, it says, The Lord does not delay 
and is not tardy or slow about what he promises. Listen, Linda, uh, when she was praying and talking about um, uh, the ladies as they were flying back home tonight, uh, and she said that uh, her sister and her two cousins had to sit out on the in the plane on a tarmac for uh, much longer than they expected. And it's not comfortable being on a plane when it's on a tarmac. Many times the air conditioning is not working at, like it would when you get up in the air. There are all manner of other inconveniences. They don't want you to get up from your seat because at any moment the, the plane could take off and they don't want you walking around. So being on the tarmac is miserable. But Linda stated to those ladies this evening as they called her and said, we're sitting on the tarmac. She said, well, that's all right. Uh, God must be in it. And he may be protecting you from something because he knows the future from yesterday. And, and so that's what Second Peter and Psalm 90 and verse 4 is reminding us of. Second uh, Peter 3 and 9 says, the Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises. When we prayed for those ladies yesterday, as we knew they were getting on the plane today, we just asked God to protect them, to keep them, to go before them. We asked that uh, everybody around them would be protected because God is covering them and protecting them. And because they're on the plane, everybody else is safe. That's the way I pray when I fly or when I'm taking a trip. And if anybody else is with me, you're protected because I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to protect. And every now and then you might be driving down the road and you get stopped. Uh, the traffic stops you and you might get disturbed a little bit about it, but you don't know what God might be protecting you from. And those ladies, as they were on the tarmac today, were very likely being protected. But according to Second Peter 3 and 9, uh, some people's concept of slowness is not the same as what God is. For God is long-suffering. That means that he is extraordinarily patient toward you. And he does not desire that any should perish, but that all should turn to repentance. So as we get ready to close this evening, I'm saying to you from Psalm 90 verse 4, um, and we did, I talked about the A clause. I simply want you to know that uh, don't allow the fact that, that one day is as a thousand years to God escape your understanding. Because just like a, a day might be a thousand years to him, when you're caught up and it seems like you are, are being held back, uh, maybe God is involved in it protecting you, looking out for you. You don't know what awaits you if you had raced on past the what was blocking you at that moment. Slow down. Allow God to have charge because the concept of his slowness is completely different from your and my concept of slowness. He is long-suffering toward you and toward me. And his desire is that not one of us would perish, but that all of us would seek repentance. Sometimes we're rushing without considering 
that we are stained with things that we need to be washed of. And while we are being blocked, uh, held back, stopped, upset, disturbed, that we're not able to move on a little bit, maybe we ought to call time out and pray. Give God glory, honor, and praise. For, as I said, you don't know what he's protecting you from. But if you got there too quick and the repentance had not taken place in your heart, uh, you would have gotten there and you would have returned to the dust. But heaven would not have been your home because you were not prepared. Your repentance had not occurred. And while you are being held back and thinking that it's a bad thing, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. God, I recognize that I am a sinner. God, I am. Uh, I regret where I've been and I turn from it. My, I turn everything about me unto you. I ask you to wash me right now. Make me white as snow. I repent of my thoughts. I repent of my past. I repent of my attitude. I repent of my habits. I repent of the way that I see people. I repent, God, of the things that needed to be washed in me by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And as you repent, family, now when God opens the gate and you're able to go forth, no matter what happens, your dust will be in eternity instead of the dust that was referred to that would be eternity in hell. I don't know about y'all, but I want my eternity with God the Father. And I am not in a hurry to get there, but I am willing to do what I must to get there. I don't know the day or the hour, and neither do you. So get ready, get ready, get ready. Turn ye, children of men, but instead of dying and going back to the dust without the promise of heaven, turn ye unto Jesus Christ. Let him be the author and finisher of your faith. May God bless you, heaven smile on you, and give you peace. Next week, oh, we're not back next week. Next week, Pastor Ellis will be teaching for the entire month of August. Uh, he's been doing an amazing teaching out of the book of 1 Samuel, and I suspect that he's going to be continuing from there. So we invite you back on next Monday uh, at 7.30, and each Monday in August, Pastor Ellis will be teaching, and I ask you to pray for him. Uh, he's down in hot Texas, and as I mentioned earlier, there, there are fires around close by where he lives. And so we're covering him and his family and everyone else there in that Dallas suburb where those fires are burning, down in San Antonio where the fires have been burning, in California where they're burning. I know some folk have already lost property, but to my knowledge, no one has lost life. And we ask God to give each and every one of them the ability to see him so that despite the despair that they might have with the loss that they've experienced, they will take on the hope that is in Christ Jesus and know that things might be lost, but God is able to restore everything that you have lost. May God bless you, heaven smile on each of you and give you peace. You may take your telephones off of mute and let's have a conversation about 
uh, Psalm chapter 90, verse 3, the B clause, and chapter 90, verse 4, the A clause. Let's talk, y'all.